0: Welcome to the Forbidden Forest, this is Roe reading chapter 15 of Death and Other Origin Stories, Lagos. Their reunion after the Christmas holiday was fast and bright and quickly snowballed into the four of them swept back into the rapidly accelerating pace of the second term. Peter had a near breakdown in the first week of February, going to absolute pieces in transfiguration when they moved swiftly onto the slightly larger mammals, leaving the apparently comfortable world of mice and other small rodents behind. All of the cats Peter transfigured with the Felifor spell were wildly unhinged, hissing and spitting and irreparably aggressive from the moment they sprung into being. Oddly enough, when they would invariably attack poor Peter, claws always so fastidiously sharp, even when their fur was missing in patches and sometimes they'd lack an eye or an ear, Sirius would always find himself jumping directly into the fray. It was now common to see both of the boys covered in bloody scratch marks by the end of their lesson. The cats, Sirius very reluctantly transfigured, always had a bit of a mangy appearance, as though they'd spent long months in the hostile alleyway behind a vegan restaurant. Sometimes they even came equipped with fleas. None of them seemed remotely interested in remaining in the classroom, and it was common that the moment they made their appearance, they'd streak from the desk to the floor and out into the corridor beyond, long lost to the unknown world of cats within the castle. James, on the other hand, had the very opposite and distinctly unnerving problem of all of the cats he attempted to spin into life being completely frozen in affect and being. They simply stared, glassy-eyed, as if taxidermied. Only Lupin seemed to have moderate luck with them, and the cats he summoned forth from the old earthenware pots would wind around his ankles, purring madly, tails held loftily in the air. Remus, despite his success, appeared supremely disconcerted in these moments, and while he made small efforts to pat the tabbies and the calicos, it was always with so much reserved hesitation. Most often, he simply ignored them. With the building of their second term, no longer was Sirius left bored while professors droned on about spell work he'd been accustomed to since toddlerhood. No, in fact, in all of his classes, Sirius found himself immersed in far more complex magic than he'd ever anticipated, even becoming curious about some of the subjects at hand. Professor Vector, in particular, kept him sharp and hungry, quill quick over crisp parchment, his copy of numerology and grammatica a constant weight in his leather satchel, and by Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa's dusty beard, a constant turn of phrase while he muttered to himself, his U-wand making complicated movements in the corner of the library that was illuminated just so by perfect afternoon sunlight. It wasn't a secret between the four of them that Sirius had rapidly become obsessed with the idea of spell creation, and little did James and Peter realize at the time spell destruction, though Remus remained quietly and inconsequentially in the know. He was now, more than ever before, quick to levitate Agrippa's work and Rosanna Amarim's ever-useful Spellman's syllabary into his satchel and make himself scarce until the small hours of the morning, brows still creased and runes sometimes inked across his forearms, evident of how he'd leaned himself across parchment that had yet to dry. It was on Wednesday afternoon that the four boys, none of them enrolled in divination, could be found sprawled out beneath the great arching windows of the west end of the library, cushions scattered across the floor, books open to their required pages, stacked across each other. Only Wednesday, and the work we've been assigned is enough for the next three months, James griped into the crook of his arm, sprawled across the ancient carpet that coated the old stone of the turret. I can't tell which I'm dreading more Bins's essay on the Mer Wars of twelve fifteen or old Sluggy's undetectable potions assignment. He flipped closed bag shots a history of magic and gazed instead upon Arsenius Jigger's magical drafts and potions. He oscillated between the two for several long moments, obviously miserable about both prospects. Personally, I'm quite enjoying the fact that Doge assigned you all three scrolls on werewolf identification and threat management. Remus's voice was bitterly amused and came from deep within the plush armchair closest to the looming stack of books. They were closest to the magical creatures section of the library, and at least four encyclopedic texts on beasts and beings lay about their small kingdom of books, all of which they'd been resolutely ignoring." Mostly I'm just glad he didn't have the audacity to make me write one too. I've been relegated to two scrolls on banishing bogarts. Remus flipped his cypress wand idly and nocturnal beasts snapped shut by his feet. How can they do this to us? Peter groaned from the pile of cushions across from James, the standard book of spells grade 3 open in his lap. He'd been attempting cheering charms on Flitwick's instruction but James hadn't as much as smiled in the past hour. He was woefully bad at them. The three of them paused in their whinging to look up at Sirius, who'd tucked himself away on the window ledge, scraps of parchment across his lap and hair tied up in a tight bun. He was deep in concentration, twirling his yew wand between his fingers, reading and rereading a passage before him, mouthing the words to himself. "'Oy, black!' James lifted his head from his arm and raised an eyebrow at his friend who hadn't seemed to notice anyone calling his name. "Shh," came a sharp hiss from Madame Pince who'd appeared to reshelve several books on hippogriff husbandry and who'd lingered to glare rather vehemently at the four of them for the indelicate way they had decorated the small sunlit corner of the library with open books, spines splayed. James mouthed a small apology, Remus snickering behind his mug of tea. Peter broke the relative silence with a squeaky Enemachioris swirling his black walnut wand rather inventively, which did absolutely nothing to improve anyone's mood. Sirius paused in his mutterings, his focus drawn to the frozen lake in the distance. There was still a thick blanket of snow across most of the grounds, but the sky was a gray that didn't threaten more inclement weather, the wind calmed for the first time in a fortnight. A darkness was pulling slowly and gently across the arc of the sky, and the shadows of the great trees that line the forest were running long across the snow. He wondered for a brief moment how the giant squid survived the cold beneath the ice, how it spent the winter months alone and in the dark, still world below, if it even noticed the shifting from day into night. He breathed heavily against the pane of glass just beyond his resting shoulder, fogging the window thoroughly. He took a moment to consider the great creature, dragging a finger through the fog to draw Lagos. Sending blessings, Remus's voice was soft by his side, and Sirius suppressed the surprise of his friend's closeness. Just dreams, I think. Sirius watched the fogged rune fade, replaced by his own reflection and Remus's smirk above his shoulder. "'Come on, Sirius,' Remus nudged him gently." The others have left for dinner already, and we've got astronomy tonight. Sirius turned to see the empty library. Many of the books repacked or stacked neatly in corners. The lights were dim and yellowed. Hours had passed without him even realizing. Who's got time for more stars, he mused, gathering his errant parchment and books back into his leather satchel, tossing his dark robes over his arm rather than replacing them over his white button-down. Remus chortled to himself, gazing fondly on his friend. You are the limit, Black. Me, no, I'm just the light in the sky. Sirius adjusted his rolled sleeves. Night, Irma. He lifted a hand at Madame Pince, who'd been glaring around the shelves devoted to demons, demigods, and dwarves, her arms laden with thick tomes yet to be shelved. At dinner, the four of them sat between the Pruitt twins and Marlene, Lily, Dorcas, and Mary, their Leonine counterparts in the third year. Remus caught a rolled up bit of newsprint from Claudia over Brussels sprouts and green beans, but the conversation didn't turn political until James caught sight of the headlines across the folded back page, midway through the Cullen skink that had appeared in great cast iron tureens. while Remus was busy with the arts and culture section. Blacks back in ministry business lay bold and accusatory over a very recognizable photo of Sirius, his father, stepping neatly out of a growler, top hat stiff and brisk, cloak of crushed black velvet over deep green formal robes, buttons of carved ivory across his doublet. His expression was severe, but a hint of a predatory grin seemed to lurk at the corners of his mouth. James reached across the table and lifted the paper from where it was perilously close to dipping into Remus's large bowl of soup, Let's see it, Lupin. James pulled the page free and refolded it beside his steaming Cullen skink, pushing soup spoons aside. Sirius looked apprehensively on, not sure if he wanted even more insight into the Black family than he already had. James, intent on the truth, began reading aloud. Orion Arcturus Black, pictured above, has been seen in and out of the Ministry of Magic every day this month, Previously thought to be in relation to the trial of Edmund Burkett Howard, a muggle accused of murdering witch Helena Twilfit of Kent, is now confirmed by an inside source that he has, in fact, been providing consultancy services to the Department of International Magical Cooperation and the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. The youngest patriarch of the family Black's involvement seems to be centered on the acquisition of foreign trade agreements with the French Bureau de Magie de Guerre for contracts relating to the use of more severe muggle repelling charms and other magical solutions to strengthen the statute of secrecy, a currently widely debated topic within the Wizengamot, with two opposing factions clearly developing over the previous six months. On one side, magical peoples have been advocating for greater protection and consider active muggle management with wizarding well-being paramount a priority of the government. In opposition, staunchly led by such charismatic young politicians as Squib Gloria Figg of the Committee for Equitable Access are voicing concern for Muggle rights and greater integration into the magical community, including a sharing of magical resources and knowledge. New legislation governing the use of force, memory modification, and detention of Muggles who are a threat to the wizarding community has also recently been tabled before the Wizengamot for consideration in a direct contest to the white papers published by Miss Fig at the start of last year. Orion Arcturus Black, resident of London, refused to comment on, quote, the sensitive and confidential nature of his business dealings, end quote, but reassured reporters that all of his actions were in support of protecting wizards everywhere from the danger of exposure to the Muggle population, as in keeping with current laws and government aims. Monsieur Black is also a known financial contributor to the lobbying groups that have pushed for the widening of ministry powers in this regard, and has openly voiced support for the controversial appointment of Parker Fawley to a leading position on the Committee for the Preservation of Magical Culture within the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. Folly has Been quoted previously in this publication at length regarding his views, including his open stance that wizardkind is intrinsically superior to muggles and that muggle-born witches and wizards are not well adapted for life within the magical community. In his words, quote, integration was our forefathers greatest mistake, end quote. These views, while shocking to some, have resonated deeply with many of the oldest and most prominent wizarding families those that have been deeply entrenched in politics and government since the creation of the Ministry of Magic. Folly has garnered significant popular support, and it is clear that the black family has embraced this new turn in the political discourse. What absolute shite, Sirius. I knew your family were Slytherins, but I didn't think they were wrapped up in all this blood purity nonsense. How come you never mention it? James's brow was deeply furrowed, real concern across his face. Not really a pleasant topic of conversation, that lot, Sirius said, having lost all of his appetite and feeling unusually uncomfortable with the number of his friends now looking to him. He kept his eyes on the thick yellow soup before him. He could feel Lily, Marlene, Mary, and Dorcas all watching him. Lily and Mary were both muggle-born you're not kidding, James went on. I'm glad they mentioned Gloria Figg, though. My dad's been supporting her for ages. He says she'll make a great minister for magic one day, squib or not. How can a squib be minister for magic? Peter, who'd spilled soup across his herbology textbook, was attempting to clean it with a cloth serviette. That's not on, Pete. What do you mean how? She's clever as Rowena, that one. And what would she need magic for? To be a minister, you need brains, not fancy charm work. James sat proudly for a moment. I'm sure she'll be a treat, Sirius said, swinging a leg over the bench and standing, unsure of why or where he was headed. He was too uncomfortable with how close his friends were coming to so many uncomfortable truths he carried about, things wrapped up in blood and surnames all the reasons why a squib would never hold any office of importance. A mental image of Nicobar Caro and Reese Fawley toasting goblets over the back of an imperious muggle crawling between them came uninvited into his mind. The disgusting haddock soup rose horribly up from his gut, sweat prickling uncomfortably along his skin. Thoughts of the Greengrass brothers, Marcellus and Cassius, laughing horribly over the votes they'd miscounted, and his own horrible forefathers' ruddied, pockmarked cheeks and sharp yellow teeth cackling away the idea that St. Mungo's could care for anyone without magic. Sirius strode away down the space between the house tables, trying not to think of the words at his back. He's a bigot too, isn't it? Just too much of a coward to say it in front of us. It was Lily's voice, so very hurt, disappointed, angry. He fought the urge to break into a run. At the Slytherin table across the hall, he could see Regulus and that horrid little git, Bartemius, poring over the same issue of the Daily Prophet, their little faces proud rather than ashamed. Quentin Mulsaber was speaking quickly and enthusiastically over his shoulder, Evan Rosier nodding and snickering along beside him. He left the great hall, slipped through the front doors, and found himself back out on the snow-covered grounds. It was too dark to go fly, and too packed with snow to walk down to the lake shore, or the forest. He let the cold wash over him a moment, unbuttoning the top of his shirt, the collar of which had become unusually tight. Alone for a few moments, he wondered what had happened to Cadmus Yaxley. He hadn't seen him return after the winter holidays, and what he wouldn't give to share a flask and a few fears with him the only one who seemed to get it, who knew what it was like, a lion and an eagle amongst snakes. As the month finally rolled forward into March, Minerva McGonagall eventually appeared to become less interested in discipline and instead proclaimed a renewed interest in remedial Quidditch and the rather sorry state of her own house team. In the second week, after a particularly hellish transfiguration lesson in which only Remus, to everyone's great shock and surprise, managed to successfully do anything, she bade Sirius and James stay behind, Sirius nursing quite a nasty bite from one of the transfigured cats. "'Well, boys, seems we have a match coming up,' she cleared her throat. "'Ravenclaw.' She said all of this with her glasses slipped down to the end of her nose, grading papers, not even looking up at the two of them, cowed before her desk. Her quill made sharp and exact noises along the parchment before her. Are you fit to compete? Always, Professor, James nearly choked, getting the words out. His excitement was palpable, and it seemed like he was struggling to remain standing in the same spot, feet specifically anchored to the stone floor below. Fighting fit, Sirius said with a grin, and it was only then that she looked up, "'eyes narrowed and dagger-like above the glinting wire rim. "'Professor,' he added robustly, now grinning. "'Well then, best get practicing.' "'She dipped her quill in the pot of dark green ink before her. "'James and Sirius paused a moment before turning and gathering their books, "'very quietly, almost in disbelief. "'In the hallway, their whoops and shouts could be heard ricocheting about the cold stone.' and Mrs. Norris could be heard hissing her displeasure from behind the iron ankles of a suit of armor. But it didn't matter, not now, nothing mattered really. James and Sirius, back on the team, reunited. They sprinted down the shifting stairways to the Great Hall, eager for lunch and the opportunity to report their reinstatement to the Pruitt twins in Longbottom, the Chasers and the Beaters, whole again. That night, James and Sirius flew with their team. Gideon and Sirius moved like a singular entity, often shoulder to shoulder, their smiles wide and bright in the early dark of late winter, the cold wind streaking across mirrored cheekbones. There was something primal about the way they hunted together, hungry and glorious and unafraid, and by the time their ice-tipped boots hit the stiff grass, they were laughing together, wild and brilliant and consuming. James landed in a roll beside them, Longbottom and Fabian following suit, the quaffle tucked beneath Frank's arm, and joy seeming to roll off him in waves. Danae and Pepper alighted with far more grace, but just as much illuminated in the fiery glow of their team, ignited in the dark. Not a week later, they won their Ides match against Ravenclaw. Sirius swinging hard and heavy against Shacklebolt, Gideon snarling at Dawlish while their bludger pinged back and forth between them, the four of them were the last to notice pepper diving for the snitch brooms spinning through the air and tumbling like a stone pulled back to the earth unaware it could fly the crowd had drawn a collective intake of breath but pepper had righted herself hand aloft around the golden snitch and the cheers had drowned the pitch in their relief sirius dragged himself to bed bruised and aching that night Rolling his eyes at Gideon pulling Lila Spinett up to the tallest tower, and Pepper finally getting an approving look or two from Alina Greer. James had been near insufferable in the afterglow, of course, the first to toast his butter beer, basking in victory, giving an altogether too long speech, thanking his house for the support. He was so saccharine, that one, so indebted, so humble in all of his pride. Sirius scoffed and threw his blanket back from the sheets he couldn't wait to crawl into, groaning at the stiffness in his wrist and forearm, a casualty of the day. The door to their dormitory creaked open behind him, and Sirius imagined James, all hell-bent and defeated, likely spurned in his revelry by a few choice-cutting words from Lily Evans. "'You're a fool to think you could chance it, not in this universe or the next,' You really think so? The voice was soft and it draped itself around the darkened dormitory with a nervous anticipation. Sirius froze mid unbuttoning of his dark robes. He turned to see Dorcas framed in the door, now closed behind her. Dorcas Meadows, beautiful girl that she was. She had dark eyes and dark skin and soft light curls that hung about her like a halo. Maybe I spoke too soon, Sirius looked her up and down. She wore muggle jeans with flared hems and a close-fitting white tee. She had rolled back the sleeves and tucked up the bottom hem to show her stomach, the shirt design half-hidden in favor of the soft expanse of skin. She seemed to steel herself a moment with a deep breath. Pulling a wand from her back pocket, Dorcas stepped around James's discarded Quidditch gear and Remus's pile of books, her hands reaching out towards Sirius, who hadn't moved, seemingly frozen to the spot, watching her advance. Dorcas, I... He had been about to caution her, to suggest perhaps it wasn't the best of plans for them to be sequestered here, alone, for her to be so disarming and bold in a corner of the castle that had only ever known the four marauders and their antics. He was interrupted, however, as she reached him, a dainty hand sliding beneath his, fingers running along his forearm and her wand tip dragging across his pale skin. Her healing charm felt like easing into a warm bath, sliding along his skin and soaking into his flesh. It was odd to have such a gentle magic wash over him. His healing spells always felt so routine, hurried and without a plum. Hers felt like a gentle breeze in summer, like warm rain in the early morning, like the kind of calm that healed a bit of your soul, perhaps while you weren't even looking. Dorcas smiled, reaching up to rub a thumb across his cheekbone, where a bludger had clipped him quite soundly in the match. He just remembered. Where there'd once been this sting and the ache of injury, he now only noticed the softness of her hands, the way her magic dusted itself across his skin. "'You didn't heal them after the match.' "'She let her hand sweep some of the long black hair "'behind his ears as she spoke. "'Seemed like you forgot.' "'Dorcas was stepping toward him again, very close now, "'her trainers between Sirius's booted feet, "'her wand back in her jeans' back pocket. "'Ah, yes, uh, seems I did.' "'Sirius was licking his lips now, "'very aware of how soft and kind and lovely she felt,' aware of how close she was, nearly pressed against him now, unaware of anything else, everything else. You're quite good at that. Dorcas smiled up at him, her thumb now running along the edge of his jaw to his chin, seeming to pull him closer still. Show me what you're good at, seemed to fall from her lips and into his mouth as she leaned up to kiss him. Her lips were tentative at first, but she quickly grew bolder, and she pressed on, standing on her tiptoes, insistent in her desire to kiss him. It took a moment for Sirius to realize what was happening. He'd never not been the initiator in a situation like this. He'd never not been the one leaning in for the kiss, deciding what he wanted and when. He'd never had someone else so thoroughly and purposely take the lead— Dorcas had run her fingers back through his hair and grabbed a handful. Sirius pushed back against the old red dresser that held Peter's clothes. Sirius, in return, slid his hands along her waist and grabbed her ass, her jeans tight and ill-adapted to his fumbling desires. He pulled her toward him, hips pressed together, nearly lifting her from her feet. It was just then that several things happened all at once. The first was that Sirius heard someone yell, Dorcas, you'd better not have gone in there from just outside the door, followed quickly by both James and Peter yelling, avast, followed by several loud thumps and Remus's quiet, ouch, you prats, with Lily Evans' voice clear as day and shrill as a shrike, shrieking that James Potter better move aside this instant. The second was that Dorcas jumped and his hand slipped, knocking her wand from the back pocket of her jeans, causing it to clatter to the floor, a jet of light and the sound of breaking glass shattering, quick to follow. The door to the Gryffindor dormitory burst open, Lily and Marlene falling through the frame, James and Peter, quick behind them, Remus, tall and gangly, was in the background, still rubbing the back of his head, looking immensely displeased. The soft darkness of the room and the intensity of the kiss was broken instantly, Sirius still pressed against Peter's dresser with a rather pleased expression on his face, but Dorcas having stepped quickly away, a dark blush across her pretty cheeks. Not bothering to do anything about his rather rumpled appearance, bit of an odd moment for you all to come breaking down the door. Did something happen? Is there a war on? James snickered and Lily stamped on his foot without a second thought. Dorcas are you okay? We heard glass breaking. Of course I'm okay Lily, Dorcas said into her hands which had come up to cover her face. I just came up to talk to Sirius. Why do you have to stick your nose into everybody's business? Lily seemed to puff up at once. Please, as if I shouldn't be worried about anyone alone in a room with Sirius Black. Lily gave him a scathing stare and marched forward, reaching out her hand to Dorcas. Come on, let's go. Sirius huffed, not really sure if he was in any position to argue, but he caught Dorcas's eye and gave her a sly smile in any case. "'Thanks for your charms, anyway,' he said softly, her blush deepening as she let Lily, who had rolled her eyes, drag her past James, Remus, and Peter, Marlene leading the way out of the room and back down the stairs. "'Can you believe that idiot?' echoed back up to the room." and the four boys remaining burst out laughing, Sirius grinning like a loon, nodding his hair back up in a bun with his wand. It was the next morning, Sunday, when a knock at their door woke the four of them again. It was less knocking actually, a bit like banging. None of them moved for several long minutes while the banging intensified. James finally gave in, his hair sticking up in all kinds of directions as he fumbled about in the half light, grabbing his glasses from the bedside table and stumbling across the room to open the door, shirtless and in an old pair of blue and white striped pajama bottoms. Sirius sat up, also shirtless, disinclined to begin his morning so dreadfully early on a Sunday, no less. He yawned and stretched while Lily, in no better mood, fully dressed and looking as though she'd been up for an hour, brushed past James again. Ew, put a shirt on. Sirius heard as she rounded the end of his bed. You too, Sirius. God, do you all sleep half naked? Disgusting. She stared daggers at Sirius, who itched his shoulder idly, an eyebrow raised. No body shaming Evans, James said from the doorway, very staunch, as half awake and disarmed as he was. Dork has lost her wand. She thinks it's in here somewhere. Lily had her arms crossed and was tapping one foot. Is it in your bed? Please tell me it's not in your bed. Sirius smirked. We didn't make it to the bed. James snickered from by the door, and Remus could be heard putting a silencing charm around his bed hangings, which were still resolutely drawn. Peter drew back his own curtains at this point, his gray Puddlemere United shirt only on over one arm, and his eyes crinkled with sleep. Think it fell on the floor, maybe rolled under the bed? You are welcome to check wherever you'd like, Evans. Sirius waved about aimlessly, still resolutely disinterested in getting up out of bed. He could feel the annoyance rolling off Lillian waves, and she stomped toward him and knelt by the bed to look under it. "'I'll help you,' came James's voice from across the room, who then gallantly ran to the other side and started checking beneath the dressers, peeking beneath Remus' bed and stack of books." "'Gods, Black, what the hell have you been keeping under here? "'It's an absolute mess. "'What is this, broken glass?' Lily sounded like she was pushing aside the remnants of that year's junk he'd been storing down there. Sirius leaned off the edge of his bed to watch her drag out an old box of fizzing whisbies, which had been collecting dust. James was busy hustling Peter into helping him search. No one dared disturb Remus. "'Oh, I found it,' she said, relief evident in her voice.' but it was quickly followed by a single syllable that made Sirius's blood run hauntingly cold. He'd just realized what the broken glass must have been from when they'd heard it last night. "'Ouch!' Lily was scrambling up from beneath the bed, holding her hand in front of her, eyebrows furrowed and glaring at the little bloom of blood that had appeared on her ring finger. James was by her side in an instant. "'Was it the glass, Lils? You all right?' He raised his wand and did a simple healing charm, watching the blood disappear. "'Must have been,' she said softly, her face softening in a horribly disconcerting way, all too rapidly, as if all of the things that made Lily Evans herself were falling away. Sirius's stomach was full of ice water. He couldn't move. He couldn't think. From across the room, Remus ripped his bed hangings back, his scarred face for once very severe.' Hospital wing, now, he said, his eyes meeting Sirius's from across the room. It was just then that Lily fainted. Sunday afternoon seemed to last several long years. James had caught Lily as she fell and ran with her in his arms to the hospital wing, Peter hot on his heels. Remus and Sirius had stayed behind, just an extra moment, as Sirius had jumped from his tangle of sheets and reached beneath his own bed, shards of dark green glass, pieces of the unlucky vintage brushed aside, pulling out the hat pin, a drop of burnished crimson still proud on its tip. Sirius flipped his wand and repaired the bottle, the pin landing back in the bottom with a loud and seemingly pleased chink of porcelain on glass. For a small moment, the smell of red wine lingered in the air. Fuck, Remus reached for a sweater to pull over his shaggy blonde hair, disheveled and terrified. Come on, Sirius, get dressed. They stared across the unmade beds at each other. Lily. If she dies, it's my fault, Sirius said it as he grabbed his robes and boots from the chair in the corner. His heart was beating high in his throat, and it was hard to breathe or swallow. It was hard to think. Remus didn't say anything. It seemed to take forever for him to tie his laces. When they got to the hospital wing, James was pacing outside, exiled by Madame Pomfrey, still shirtless, still in his blue and white striped aged pajamas, still barefoot. It was unnerving to see someone so shell-shocked, so terrified, so adult and sincere, and yet so childlike. Serious, what the fuck happened? James was upon him as soon as he and Remus rounded the corner, It felt strange, dressed in black robes, in his boots, austere, his best friend's skin puckered in the cold, irrelevant in the slipstream of his fear. Peter was sitting on the floor, picking at an errant thread on his sleeve. Sirius! James was on him, hands curled into the front of his winter robes, dark and formal. What happened? He hissed it out, desperate, eyes big and terrified. Sirius had no idea what to say. It was Remus who came between them, arm curling around James, pulling him into a hug. It's okay, James. Madame Pomfrey will sort things out. She'll be okay. James's fingers released the heavy fabric of his robes, and he fell into Remus's hug, hands coming up to clutch at his face and his hair. It's Evans, Remus, Evans. The winter sun was just rising high enough to slant hoorays through the high windows of the corridor. The castle was deathly quiet. I know, I know. Remus let James lean into him and fall apart. Sirius watched the two of them, still unsure, feet cemented to the stone, tongue thick and stupid in his mouth. Peter sniffled in the corner. Remus nodded at Sirius over James's bare shoulder, and Sirius found himself walking through the double doors of the hospital wing, green glass bottle still swinging at his side.
1: chapter was satisfying
0: I don't know I'm still not happy with it
1: I w- literally
0: today could have written more for mm. it I think it's the first chapter that I've like recorded where I was like I am displeased oh no yeah because there was one chapter in blood magic where I was displeased and then someone commented I forget who it was but a, a Lemons. Reader, no it wasn't Lemons. wasn't it oh maybe it was somebody commented and they were like there should have been more in this Mm. section and like so we're not like a lot of people Mm. in the fanfic community I think we really love
1: critique I love it
0: Yeah. so I took that critique and was like I totally agree with this reader Um, so I rewrote a Mm. whole section of dialogue and just like stuck it in Mm, mm. and it was a conversation that um, I was really glad that they had Mm. and that made it feel a lot more complete and rounded and like made the chapter so much better. And I feel like that's what this chapter is missing.
1: Mm, It's missing something.
0: Yeah. But I don't know what it is. And it's been taking so long for me to actually get this chapter done. Mm. And I don't know what, where to put that or what to do. And I almost feel like they're not mature enough
1: to have these conversations. Mm, Sirius mm. doesn't want to have these conversations. Like, yeah, I think yeah, I think that was also kind of what I was struggling with my last chapter too. It's like the age that they're at kind of makes it a little bit difficult to have some of the conversations and content discussed.
0: Is that the whole thing? Is that like we're being transported back to yeah. what it's like to being, well, Sirius is 14, Remus mm-hmm. is 13. What it's like to be that age and just like yeah, have no soldier vocabulary. on. Yeah. <laughs> just keep going. It's a shitty feeling. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) Or, you know, I I had some other, like, really cool, small ideas for the chapter. Like, Mm. little scenes I wanted to add. Mm. Um, And I guess maybe I'll add them in different chapters. Mm. I just felt like this chapter could have been a lot more. But also, Mm. it's quite serious in a weird way. Yeah, I didn't want to throw lighthearted things in there. (laughs) Although, when am I ever going to have time for the lighthearted things with the chapters? (laughs) I, I don't know, man. I just... I really... Yeah, it's a shorter chapter than normal. Yeah. I just you have to keep your next chapter the same length. Mm-hmm. So yes, that
1: that'll be the struggle. <laughs> yeah, it will be. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> limit the word vomiting.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. especially since the the next chapter is obviously a super intense scene it opens with. Yeah. Lily
1: is in the hospital. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I want <laughs> I wanted to ask about your thoughts about magic with <laughs> with creating the cats. Oh. <laughs>
0: I was just thinking about it because I was like, Sirius is such a dog. Yeah. Like we know that his his animagus form is a dog, and Peter is obviously the rat, Mm. which has many reasons or many many symbols in there. Mm. But also, he's described as such like a rat, like mousy, yeah, Yeah, character. And I was just thinking like how the two of them and how their magic would go about creating a cat, Mm. because also cats are like so there's so much personality and there's such little forces of their own will that, like, in order to do that you would have to like really understand the cat and show appreciation for Mm, the cat and mm -hmm. i just couldn't imagine either of them
1: understanding cats on any level yeah exactly whereas
0: like james i imagined understanding a cat and then the cat just being kind of deer like in a weird way (laughs) really just vacant yeah yeah or like really terrified and like you know like the the fight flight or freeze just doing the freeze like very deer like like... So that's what I imagined like you know him pouring into his own transfiguration Mm. work and then Remus just totally getting the cat yeah and like really understanding the cat but also feeling super guilty about the cat and like the cat not being a good association Mm -hmm, for him
1: mm -hmm. Um, being like I hate this assignment yeah
0: (laughs) being like super quietly traumatized but the Mm. cats are like yeah you get me (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Um, so yeah (laughs) yeah that's sort of what I was thinking about and I, I wanted to do more of, like, the scenes of them in their classes and doing classwork because mm. I feel like I haven't written a lot of that. Mm. So I, like, went for it in this chapter. Mm. And I also laid a whole bunch on what classes to to write also. Mm. I really wanted to do Care of Magical Creatures and mm. Herbology and... <laughs> I even had a whole scene I had planned. I was going to do history of magic mm. and talk about Rasputin and like the Romanov family, Oh, yeah. And, like deals with the Fae and how that like ruined the yeah. Russian Empire oh, and how God, like yes. they didn't have good barriers between oh, my Muggles God, why and wizards. With-
1: <laughs> didn't we write that?
0: I didn't write it because at the end of the day, I decided Binz's curriculum is so Britain centric, oh yeah, and UK centric that he would have never discussed it unless it was like. A propaganda thing. Oh, I see. To show like the perils of not having a good statute of secrecy. Uh, Yes. So I'm considering bringing it back in a different context.
1: Yeah, I I love doing the the world history connections and like the magical yeah idea like how was, would that interplay with like you know yeah. Muggle politics? Totally, I was thinking, so intensely.
0: I was thinking about like you know what big figures from history do we <laughs> always associate as like probably magical? Mm. Like Rasputin, yeah, definitely, definitely one like, of them, hands
1: down. Actually,
0: the whole Romanov family, because I mean the yeah. hemophilia connection and you know yeah. like yeah, sort of this whole mythology around yeah. them is really strong. Um, That's super interesting. Yeah, so I thought about a couple other figures from history too. I thought about Napoleon. Mm. I don't know. I don't, we'll we'll write more of it into different classes probably yeah. as the years go on. Mm. I just figured for now, because Harry, like in his experience of the series, he doesn't think about the outside world yeah. almost at all yeah. until the Triwizard Tournament or, yeah. not, or t- until um the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. And he's like, oh. <laughs> oh, there's others. <laughs> there are other magical beings outside of Europe. Yeah. So in my head, I was like, there's no way Binns was talking about yeah. other, yeah. And that means... Or he was, and Harry was just daydreaming in that entire class. No, Hermione would have told them about it. It would have been, been like, <laughs> Hermione would have been obsessed with Rasputin. Mm. And like,
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The muggle politics. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, you're right. So I had that whole They probably whole don't like, get like, the interconnection yeah, yeah. In, in their education. Definitely
0: not. Yeah, I had that whole scene planned. I had a few other classes planned, and eventually, I just decided on the cats and transfiguration Mm. because I thought it was the most apropos, I guess.
1: Yeah, I also like that concept of everybody manifesting magic in their own way.
0: Totally, Mm. totally. And that's something we talk about all the time. Mm. Like, if you and I were to sit Mm. here and to create a cat, it would look totally different. No, completely different.
1: What would your cat look like? That's a great question. It would be exactly probably like the dog. Same. your dog is like a cat i though. know i know that's what i mean like neurotic no, but like, and kind of aggressive like physically what would it look like a weird calico brindle yeah. monstrosity yeah.
0: yeah i feel like it would have super long floofy
1: hair yeah 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 and like really hate everyone yeah yeah totally <laughs> whereas i would create like a little black kitten yeah it would be
0: like adorable <laughs> and also a dog
1: small demon
0: yeah tiny de- demon. yeah de- demon full of hate but also yeah, like, like really cute yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> also it's like poisonous yeah poisonous cat yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so i don't know it's kind of funny to think about like even
1: if you ask someone what do they picture when they picture mm. like a generic cat yeah their answer is going to be different absolutely yeah Well, it was like when we did that scene with, like, the snuff boxes. Oh, totally. Like, you know, them creating, like, different, um, like, manifesting in different ways. Like, what would it look like? What would that be like?
0: Yeah, I also wanted to do a scene. um, I sort of hinted at it with with Peter not being able to do the cheering charms. Mm -mm. Um, I thought about, like, the also, the inherent need to know about cheeriness. Yeah. And, like, that feeling Mm. to be able to. Create create it, yeah magic. absolutely and like peter
1: just not knowing yeah, how absolutely like can you can you manifest those feelings within yourself in order to project them onto yeah. somebody else exactly. like yes or no
0: <laughs> yeah and it's an peter's such an interesting character because like as we're writing him and going through this we know and all of the readers yeah. know eventually who he turns into yeah eventually he you know, gives Lily and James up to Voldemort mm. and Sirius and, mm. you know, obviously the implication is that a bunch of Order members might die. Yeah. So, like, what kind of human does that? Yeah, and obviously to that point. Obviously this has happened a million times throughout mm. human history. There are millions of humans who have done yeah. horrible things to people that they loved and yeah. cared about and grew up with and who who you know turned on them mm. so like what creates that and yeah. what what can we say about that person what kind of mm. history do we write about
1: yeah because i mean obviously a lot of times when that happens people are so surprised and so shocked yeah but it's not uncommon no like it's i not hate uncommon. to say that but it's no not. absolutely but that's what i mean like you can't look back and you're like oh i knew it i knew they'd turn out to be an evil son of a bitch you yeah, know totally. because like generally speaking especially like when you hear stories about like serial killers like oh they were so nice do you when know you, what i mean like, when you hear stories about abusive husbands yeah absolutely or, or, like or rapists. Yeah. yeah i mean those
0: most times are people who knew the person and yeah. the person will usually say things like you know they were so
1: nice i never mm. thought they'd be like that yeah absolutely
0: but what a common yeah.
1: theme or like how little do people actually know about one another even yeah. when like they grew up like that together yeah mm.
0: exactly yeah actually how little do they know about peter's home life yeah how much has Peter told them? Mm. What, they, none of them have ever seen his house. Yeah, seen it
1: like you know what it's like. They don't ever really ask him about anything.
0: No. And he doesn't
1: really offer anything up.
0: And I think we write that specifically because mm. it's hard to
1: imagine like that mm. unfolding. Yeah, totally. It reminds me of like Neville. Like you know yes. how Harry didn't know yes. anything about Neville for so long. Completely. And then was just like, why don't I know this?
0: <laughs> well, they're supposed to be parallel characters. Yeah, totally. Also. Yeah. But that's also, yeah, part of the things about, like, school life is mm. that how much do you really know about what's going on in the background of your friends' lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or your students' lives, your teachers' lives. Totally. What the fuck's going on out there? Yeah. But anyway, I, yeah, I really struggled to
0: write this chapter. <laughs> and I thought about tons of different classes and, mm. yeah. I wanted to write Shafiq, but mm. we're going to... Obviously, he's going to come in a big part soon. Mm. So I didn't want to, like, write too much about that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I really like the Daily Prophet article um, and this conversation that's starting to happen now about Sirius' home life becoming a little Mm. bit more public Mm -hmm. um, and having to confront, like, his family ideology in a house that's, like, so clearly pro-muggle. Yeah, obviously. No, totally. And
0: I think... You know, what I wanted to imply was that, like, they really don't think he belongs in Gryffindor.
1: Mm.
0: Is that, like, you know, so he's Mm. sort of this imposter. He's been lying to all of them now. He's just sort of this closeted bigot. Mm. And, like... Absolutely. You know, I didn't want to write too much of Remus and James and Peter coming to his defense, because do they really know?
1: Yeah. I mean... Not really.
0: Not really. Mm.
1: Remus, maybe a little bit. Mm. They've had small conversations about it. Like, Yeah and Rivas has also had like a few like raised eyebrow moments totally. over the past few years where he's like totally Wait a minute. yeah we specifically wrote James as like very pro muggle yeah. like very open about it very mm-hmm. vocal super supportive family yeah yeah very progressive home.
0: Yeah. Well, we're also writing it's a little bit easier to be super progressive when your family of course, is yeah, fostering yeah. that environment. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: this idea of like when you're raised by certain people, like it really skews your ability to engage in certain things. Well, yeah, we also haven't touched, or like none of his friends
0: realized that his engagement with going against his family is potentially dangerous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so James obviously has an easier time being progressive because his home life is so supportive about it. Yeah. And then you've got Sirius, who's, like, obviously very conflicted because you have, like, your sense of safety and security that you have to take into consideration.
0: Yeah. And also, he's obviously not talked about any situation of his home life, Mm. really. Yeah. Um, And opening that door includes opening this idea that he is an abused child. Yeah. And, like...
1: The honesty around that is probably just, like, crippling. Yeah, yeah no totally. thanks. I mean, he's as closed left about his home life as Peter is. Yeah, totally. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so a very short chapter, but
0: hopefully a lot of stuff set in motion by it. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Do you have anything else you want to ask about it?
1: I just I like this idea. Uh, I know we've talked about this of the Black family. You know, in canon, they said that like they themselves weren't Death Eaters, aside mm. from like Regulus, yeah. who obviously joined, but like they still hold so much power in the wizarding world, and like they have such weight.
0: Well, obviously, I mm. mean, think about it. the The Death Eaters are a fringe faction mm. that are like held up by this one, basically cult leader style, mm. yeah, um, person, mm. but when you look at like the way power exists in societies Mm. these old wealthy families that have been involved in politics for so long Mm. they have power that is generational they have power that extends centuries i mean it's not about one person Mm. it's about an entire system of benefit Mm. and to me that is so much more sinister it is Mm. so much more real i mean you get like the megalomaniac like voldemort wants to like yeah bust that shit wide open and you know yeah. whatever have a genocide <laughs> exactly but there are much more subtle more powerful more more long-lasting ways mm. to create um inequality yeah. and to profit off of that inequality yeah, and then to feed money back into the same system and that's mm. i mean that's classic human
1: behavior <laughs> yeah wealthy elite yeah. human behavior mm. I mean
0: yeah and i i also it 's interesting because the death eaters are not all sacred twenty eight families mm. there 's actually lots of them that are half bloods mm. or mm. you know it, they almost seem like the ones who couldn 't quite make it into yeah. that intensely
1: inner circle yeah
0: privileged inner life mm. um, and then who ended up in this like sort of fringe yeah Trying to access that. You could say that actually about the Malfoys only, yeah. that they're one of the really old families, but they're really in it for the hate, almost. Yeah, totally. You know, they already had so much power.
1: They're in it for, like, the yeah. the ideology. Yeah, um, totally. Whereas, like, a lot of other people are in it just for, like, the, like, the accessibility of power.
0: Yeah, I wonder mm. about Bellatrix. Yeah. I mean, is she someone who wants power? Or is she someone who really wants, like, you know see or she really loves or is obsessed with voldemort as a person instead of like it being about this yeah whatever ideology drinking the kool-aid yeah like
1: captivated by a very charismatic person exactly yeah
0: yeah no
1: that's wild
0: it was just interesting i mean voldemort himself seems like someone who really wanted to be part of that powerful system and who was denied access to it absolutely so he made his own. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if like during his school years he knew about what other Sacred 28 families were doing, mm-hmm. like w- about like the, the things that they were involved in. Mm-hmm. You must think that they, they were. I mean, he even says, there's that line, Tom Riddle says, um, I don't have the background for politics or yeah. something like that. Yeah.
1: So he, it's almost like he's... He knows that he's being excluded from the Wizarding World in, in some areas. The, a certain part of the yeah. Wizarding World at yeah. least. Yeah. He's like very hurt about that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of bitterness there. I mean, mm. I, but again, like, there is a bitterness of people who are disallowed power. I mean... Totally. It's almost like you can draw that specific parallel to... Have you have you seen those um, graphs looking at areas with the highest level of inequality? Mm. And the areas of the highest level of visible inequality between population groups have mm. the highest rates of violence. Yeah. It's like... Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If
0: everyone is poor and has equal access to almost nothing then life is shit, but okay. Mm-hmm. But, like, if there's a group that lives next door to you who has access to everything mm-hmm. and another group who who has access to almost nothing, it creates incredible amounts of resentment and then violence. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that's, yeah. Kind of same vibes. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think it's, it's also, like, this classic thing, like, talking about, like, fanatic, like, <laughs> small fra- faction groups. Like, mm-hmm. you know really um kind of preying on on that inequality no totally. and like that's how they get followers well
0: because yeah you are recruited into this faction because it gives the idea that you have access mm-hmm. or social mobility mm-hmm. or economic mobility you could actually say very similar things about gangs yeah. and gang recruitment. yeah i was just thinking that yeah that maybe is another discussion for another day. <laughs> <laughs> a
1: whole other but issue.
0: <laughs> this this discussion that we're having is a great example of why Harry Potter is such an interesting lens mm. to you know, look at stories mm. and but also discuss how those themes are replayed in real life. Yeah. Because like this this book is really about you know, the human struggle and the human condition mm. and things like huge themes, love, family, friendship. Mm but also things like government power, you know, unjust systems, Mm -hmm. inequality, slavery. I mean, it it brings up massive issues that you could... Fascism. (laughs) Yeah, you could take it in any direction Mm. to explore and to really think about what it means and, and, you know, what it says about humans and what it says about our real lives. Yeah. Even though it's taking place in this... quote-unquote fictional magical yeah. world. Quote-unquote fictional. <laughs> Which, like, looks really similar to the rise of fascism yeah, that we've exactly. seen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too real, too real. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, that's probably also one of the reasons why the Harry Potter fan fiction world has been... Like, so just prolific. ...exploded yeah. and, and is so... You know, there's so many facets to write about. There's so many things to explore. Yeah, there there's really so many topics to, you know, learn about. And then it just
1: yeah it's wonderful it's great yeah i really enjoy the fandom as a concept <laughs> not as a reality <laughs> i mean some parts of it are kind of a nightmare but no, some parts, i feel like everybody yeah. can agree with that no, some no, no, parts no. of the fandom are a fucking nightmare No, completely <laughs> um and i
0: think the fandom is it's like really stratified mm. i think certain parts of the fandom people engage with it in certain ways and certain parts people engage mm. with it in other ways mm. like i think we engage with it in a way that's like let's talk about socio-political mm. nonsense and and yeah. huge issues and like major topics but mm. there are some people who are just writing to write about like you know a hookup
1: yeah
0: or a basic fantasy yeah. and like that's there's nothing wrong with that it's yeah. just a different conversation that yeah, you're having definitely um, and you know, a lot of people use fandom as escapism. Mm. Like we're saying, we enjoy critical feedback. Yeah. Like I love when someone says, you know, I really hated this part. Were, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You totally. know, your writing really didn't flow here, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, okay, cool. What can I do to, you know, mm. um, improve that? Yeah. But some people write fandom as a complete escape
1: I don't want feedback at all. Yeah. yeah.
0: And like feedback just seems as like unnecessary negative nonsense. Mm. Whereas, like, you're putting out something mm-hmm. that, you know, you worked on yourself and that, like, is part of your process. And, yeah. like, who fucking cares if your grammar is terrible? Yeah. Totally.
1: Which is also completely valid. Yeah, absolutely. I've also had moments, too, where I've had criticism on things before and I've read it and I'm like, mm, I don't agree with that criticism at all. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. And, like, that's also, like, I think an important exercise, you know, not internalizing every bit of, like, negative review that you
0: no, get. No, completely. Um, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah, because also some of the, <laughs> some of the comments, some people just think about completely different things yeah, than yeah, what yeah, you absolutely. do when you're writing, like, yeah, you know, really incredible. Oh, like, we've had some comments where, like, I read them and I'm like,
1: wait, what? What did you just say? <laughs> Why would you, what? But it's fine. At yeah, least... right, did we read the same thing? Yeah.
0: <laughs> what <laughs> theme did
1: you pick up here? Because this is not what I was intending. But again, it comes back to that idea of, like, as an author, what you intend and what people interpret are two completely different no, things. No, of course. You know, and like... because Death of the Author yeah, exists, exactly.
0: and JK can go fuck herself, yeah. like, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say this is a bad thing. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. Hmm.
1: I think that's one of those things, too, when you put something out on the internet and you put something out to the world, like, you really do, like, lose agency over it. <laughs> Which is a little terrifying,
0: considering, like, this podcast exists. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Cool.
1: Let's not cool, think, about, yo, let's that not too think much. about that too deeply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah. It's fine. Anyway. There's
0: literally no one listening to us. Yeah. No. It's great. It's just me. It's sometimes, the voice. like, replaying. and I like that one person out there. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for listening. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Although we do really like feedback, so if you are listening, like, tell us, yeah. <laughs> so we can be also like, oh hi. <laughs> I wonder if this podcast has been meaningful for people. Yeah, I have no idea. It's
1: meaningful for me. I don't know if that yeah, helps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I find it helpful.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, I think it's had great meaning for us. Mm. It's been really fun to do. Mm. It's been like an awesome lockdown distraction mm. um, creating this podcast. Yeah, it has been. It's so weird because like we started at the start of lockdown, yeah. and it's still going on.
1: Yeah, we're still doing it. <laughs> still <this>. going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been like nine months. Yeah, it has. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, it actually has
0: been. Mm-hmm. Nine months of this nonsense. Wild. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. I wonder if we'll stop when lockdown stops. I don't think we're going to stop until this thick is, is completed. Done, which will be in like, ha! <laughs> <years>. It'll <laughs> literally
0: be in 15 years from yeah. now. Yeah. I'm going to be so busy. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm going to be so old. <laughs>
0: yeah. We're already super <laughs> old. Oh,
1: man. When did that happen?
0: when you got your pillbox
1: quiet (laughs) it has a.m. and (laughs) p.m. wait till you get noon oh my god stop (laughs) oh my god everybody what was your indication that you were finally old also,
0: I do not want to hear from anyone who's like below the age of 28. Yeah, no, 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 no. no this you're is not, not old. for anybody
1: underneath 28. <laughs> yeah. Everyone over 28, <laughs> when did you realize you were old? Yeah.
0: When did you have a yeah. moment where you're like, I am an elderly human? <laughs> yeah.
1: For me, it was getting a pillbox with AM and PM.
0: Oh, not even your first round of
1: like the normal pillbox with one thing? Or did you start I had at- to start at AM and PM. <laughs> I had to start there. There was no graduation period. I was like, wow, we're at this point. I just it takes me too long to take my medication every day. I need a pillbox to delineate all of my fucking pills. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but also like
0: not at all oh because God. I feel like medication is a good thing. that's yeah,
1: great. Hashtag chronic diseases. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag self-care. And also,
0: like, <laughs> like there are plenty of people who have had an AM and PM pillbox yeah. since they were, like, three years yeah. old. So it's not really an indication that you're old. It's more the indication that you finally like, took Got care to of yourself. To,
1: like actually go to the doctor and yeah, get my yeah. life sorted. That's
0: what made it old for Yeah, that's
1: what made it old, yeah, for, made it old for
0: me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not to say that everyone with a pillbox should
1: feel Oh, hard. to be young and carefree and not <laughs> seek medical attention. You were not carefree. Carefree is not the word that would describe you.
0: Don't lie to the people like this. I
1: was not carefree. You were not. I was depressed and ill. Yeah, you
0: had all of the cares and it's called generalized anxiety disorder. too many cares too
1: many cares carefree
0: (laughs) if you ever describe yourself as that I'm literally in the background waving a flag like a liar I don't think
1: I've ever been carefree a day in my fucking life yeah
0: no you haven't I've been there you haven't
1: (laughs) I've been there lies and deceit oh my god (laughs) okay so it was more denial Yeah, yeah no I think it was just yeah Fear. Oh, mm. <laughs> uh, yes, generalized anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, the continued having too many cares to let you care or be carefree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That... It snowballs real nicely. Really quickly. I'm glad we could laugh about it now. It's like me <laughs> laughing about being <laughs> an organ failure. <laughs> Can you fucking not? <laughs> it's okay, it's just your brain that's a bit
1: out oh, there. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So anyway. So anyways, we're old and um,
0: yeah. When was the moment I realized I was old? When you realized you had to drink water every day. No man. <laughs> I st- I don't think I think I'm like that old yet. <laughs> I'm like denial is still really hardcore. Now. What do you always you you literally tell me to drink water and I'm like I don't have to I'm immortal. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's fine. I have enough pillbox for both of us. <laughs> I found out why you're not carefree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's you. It's yeah. entirely it's me because just cause I'm just panicking it's about b- your delusion of immortality. Yeah, it's because I'm too carefree. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hyperventilating in the background. <sighs> At least we're honest about it. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a good thing or not. <laughs> So for when my therapist is like, do you want to talk about your anxiety yeah. about your person? And I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Why are you going to tell me to stop hanging out with you? Yeah, him? because it's not going to happen. <laughs> I will stop hanging out with you, therapist lady.
0: I like how we pretended through all of blood magic to have everything like totally sorted out. Oh my god and like (laughs) really enlightened really really
1: healthy not codependent relationship yeah we were lying as a farce yeah we were definitely lying it only took us the author (laughs) yeah it only took us writing a wolf star fic to like like, wow yeah we're still pretty fucked huh Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's okay we'll be back and like cycle through stages of enlightenment and denial isn't
0: that what it's all about yeah it's, no one can know anything until you know something and yeah. then you know nothing again. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: the whole base of reality.
0: We could... No, let's not talk about philosophy.
1: Let's end this. Nobody yeah. wants to hear me no, talk no, no. about philosophy. No, no, no. We gotta <laughs> just write that in your next chapter. It's <laughs> <laughs> No, it's the, your chapter. Oh, yeah. First. Okay, I'll write the existential dread.
0: <laughs> That's every chapter you write. Yeah. Actually, is. no. Yours tend to be super
1: uplifting. Denial. <laughs> Denial ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> it's also my current state of being. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's let the people go. Okay. Goodbye, people. Okay. See bye, people. Time. Thanks for Thanks listening. For listening. <laughs> Welcome to The Forbidden Forest. This is James reading chapter 16 of Death and Other Origin Stories, The Badger and the Wolf